Well, good morning. Good morning. And it is, isn't it? It's a great day. It's time to worship the Lord as we continue on all morning long here. And of course, the uh, focal point is when we gather around His Word. And we've been looking at a series of plagues. Uh, actually, there have been six plagues altogether, and we kind of divide them up in two sets. And kind of how they're arranged in a way, we come to this third set, which is actually number seven and number eight and number nine. And we know that God is sending to Pharaoh and all of Egypt the uh, plagues of judgment upon them. Now, what's going to happen is that this narrative, this story, which is true, is going to reach a higher plateau. Every time that we go into like another plague or another set of plagues, uh, it just escalates. And we see more devastation. And this one today is going to be dealing with uh, God unloading from the heavens His wrath. Uh, upon the uh, nation of Egypt. Uh, Extreme devastation. I think as God demonstrates His holiness that there is a frightening power here that you would think would convince anyone, even the hardest of hearts, you think they would finally give in to this great God who's doing this. But as usual, the Pharaoh cannot Pharaoh will not release the captives. He is not going to set them free. And the main reason is going to be that all ten plagues need to be done to harden the heart of Pharaoh to the point that the whole world would know what this great God has done. And we know as uh, time goes on, as Israel goes into their promised land, uh, many nations, as they venture up to that area, are scared to death of them because of their great God. So it did get out. And today, here it is many, many years later, right? Thousands of years later, and we are remembering this, uh, what God had done. Pharaoh is like putty in the Pharaoh's hands. God is totally controlling this whole issue here. And so there's a, there's a serving of God's purpose. And Pharaoh is actually a servant of God. Whether he knows it or not, he's being used by him. And Pharaoh is involved, I think, in something much bigger than himself, much bigger than the nation of Egypt, and much bigger than uh, Israel. This is much bigger. And it's about who God is. That's what you want to look at when you look into any... Um, truth of Scripture. Where is God in this, first of all? Start with that. Don't look at man. We want to exalt God and then see what God is, is doing with man. God, God's whole plan here is involving much more than uh, just the little scope that they're thinking. The whole scope is the whole world and His, His whole plan. So He's using this leader to spread the Word everywhere, to let it just go out all over the world who God is and he lifts Pharaoh up to be a leader and to put him in that position and then he brings him down to show the sovereign power of God. And that's immense to think about. It's hard to imagine how Pharaoh could defiantly avoid 
submitting to the very authority of God. He couldn't surrender to Him. He couldn't surrender. He was so bent on His own authority that He had. He wanted to keep that authority that no matter what, He was not going to give it up. And so He was ignoring God's will. It was so blatant. It was so evil. And I believe it's so easy to see in this whole account. And yet at the same time, we too want to be molded by God and into His will. And a question that we should always be asking, all of us, should be saying, how does this affect my own life? After we see this account, which is uh, showing the power of God, how do I submit to God and how can I more submit to God? Do I sometimes ignore the will of God whenever I know it is true here but I don't see how it fits in with my life. Or we might have our own selfish reasons, so we ignore that part. Do we take His will seriously? Or when it's convenient, when it's comfortable? So we want to kind of focus on that as we go through the story too and ask, how sovereign is God in my life in every detail? How sovereign is He? How much of Lord is He? Do we really believe God or not? That would be a good question. Those are some questions as we deal with uh, this portion of Scripture here as we look at this man, Pharaoh, who God uses as an example to show uh, God's power. Uh, We start with verse 13. And this is the longest warning we've had yet. And because it's more severe than any other plague. This is a long section, these 7 and 8 and 9 plagues it goes all the way through chapter 10 halfway through 9 and then all the way through 10 so there's a lot of material here Um, a lot of the same things are happening it's the same pattern basically as as we outline this Um, this particular plague is significant like they all have been but being that this one is dealing with hail that means God's judgment of course we've seen that already or usually when you see hail, it definitely means that God is raining down upon uh, a nation or nations. And many times God uses weather as something to show that He is present and He is active. And a lot of times when we have heard of uh, tsunamis or we've heard of earthquakes, um, may or may not be a necessarily a direct judgment act of God but when it's severe, uh, occasionally you will hear people say that's an act of God. That is God judging. Or that's God warning us. I think any time that we have something like that, it is something to at least examine and say, could God be in this warning uh, this nation? Is, is that what He's doing? You know, It's always uh, a question that enters quest- uh, Christians' minds. Uh, he's definitely uh, judging, isn't He? This is involving thunder. It's involving lightning. It's involving fire. This hailstorm is. So it's intensifying. And it's going to continue to intensify. It's not going to get easier as these plagues appear. Picking it up in verse 13, we get a warning from 13 to 21. That is a long warning. But in it are some very important parts there, and it's dealing with God's purpose especially in verse 16. 
Verse 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. It's a good purpose there, isn't it? None like me. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I'll cause every heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now, gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So the warning and the heating is going on there and not heating too. The discipline, I think you see, it's more severe than we've seen before. Um, You remember plague one? Moses was going early in the morning and standing before Pharaoh. Plague four, same thing. And plague seven, series one, Series 2, and now Series 3. And that's kind of how these alternate. It's kind of interesting. Um, Moses is to confront him, the Pharaoh, and he's telling that God is going to send his full force of his plagues for Pharaoh. Not only the 7th, but the 8th, ninth, and 10th. He just says uh, it's going to go uh, to his very heart. I will send all my plagues to your very heart. All my plagues. God has it in mind. There will be ten. No matter what, that's what's going to happen. Pharaoh had become harder, if you remember, in verse 12 in uh, chapter 9. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. The Lord hardened the heart. We've seen that on several occasions. Here it is. That's what's going to happen. So God's punishment, now because the hardened heart of Pharaoh is even more hardened, is going to be the punishment will be more severe. In 16 and 17, you actually get a quote in the New Testament of this verse 16. It's found in Romans 9:17. So we're in Exodus 9:16. If you look over to Romans 9:17, you'll see the same thing as one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible about the sovereignty of God is found in Romans 9. And it's a quote right out of our text we're at this morning. In verse 17, after he has stated, I will show mercy, and whom I want to show mercy, the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may, de- may be declared in all the earth. And then Paul adds to that, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. So that is the sovereign free act of God that he can do. 
And He does do. This is a great big God. There's the purpose of the, of the place that we see that it's to show His power. God is showing His power. God could have wiped out all the Egyptians as we look in verse 15. I could have stretched out my hand and wiped you out from the very outset. From the very first plague, I could have taken you out. Before then, I could have done that, really. God could have held back... God actually held back His hand, though, during this time and did not destroy them. He's going to use Pharaoh to send the word throughout the world. That's his whole plan. He could have been so angry at them, he says, okay, that's it. I'm not even going to send warnings. I'm not even going to send plagues. I'm going to just destroy them right off the face of the land. He says, I could have done that. I could have even kept Pharaoh from becoming the leader that he is. No, I put him up there in that place so I can be proclaimed. Now, Pharaoh is going to remain... In history, a standing memorial of the justice and power of God's wrath. And to this day, people know about Pharaoh and they know about these plagues. Some people take them as just stories, just fairy tales and such. But this is actually true in history. God will humble. God will bring down the proudest of His enemies. This is a very prideful man. I think he is at the top of the list as far as pride goes, right? And there have been many leaders in the Bible that we've seen. Nebuchadnezzar was another one right there at the same time. God broke him. So his sovereignty, his power, his justice, that's his name. That's whenever he says, may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. My very sovereignty, my very power, my very justice. It needs to be proclaimed and it will. God sometimes raises up very bad men to power. That happens a lot. You have men all over the country who uh, are some that we would uh, say are evil. And yet God can put them in power, sustain them, and even be patient with them as they grow even more obstinate. As they become hard and harder. I think in our times we've seen that many times in some foreign countries. In the Middle East and how um, they would uh, definitely be against God's will. But God's will is still being done even though it doesn't look like it, God is using them. That's how much a control that He is in. He is uh, not sitting back thinking, oh, I hope this works out. <laughs> but it's that He be glorified. Pharaoh never would have been king in the first place had not God put him in that, gave him that position. So the justice and mercy of God, it's on display. This whole situation is bringing that out. In 18 through 21, which we just read, Here's the prediction of the hail. There's going to be hail. A lot of hail. Big time hail. Hail like nobody has ever seen before. Now, when you have hail, what else do you have? You have rain. We're in Egypt. If you're in Egypt, that is something quite foreign to have is rain. Especially this kind of rain. They average less than an inch of rain a year. And this is going to continue and continue. And then the hail coming down with it. They're going to get what they least 
expected because they live in the desert. If you live in a desert, you don't expect an inch of rain at one time. Much more, how about two inches, three inches, four inches? Keep going. We've seen on occasion here, even this year, where there have been four or five inches of rain at one time around mid-Missouri and different places. Okay, you have rain or you'll have sunshine. We have sunshine today, right? Well, the Egyptians' god is called Re, R-E, or Ra, R-A. And he came up every day. If you get an inch of rain or less, most of the time you're going to have rain, uh, sun in Egypt, aren't you? And he controls the situation. You've heard of worshiping the sun. That's one of the greatest worships in the Middle East, and especially Egypt. And that's why their uh, god, Ra, is very important to them. Uh, he didn't let... God didn't let the sun come out for three days. So there is God beating the enemy. He, he beats the false gods of Egypt here. Another god was Isis. You've heard of Isis probably. I think they even had an Egyptian trinity that was uh, above all. It was Isis, Horeb, and Seb. And uh, Isis is right at the top. The goddess of the air. And there coming out of the air are hailstones, rain and thunder. And this is directed against Pharaoh, Egypt. It's directed against the very God that they have. Okay, when was this going to happen? God tells Moses, tell him it's tomorrow, this time. 24 hours, this is going to happen. Now the directions, the fact that the people are to gather in a safe place to to get all the animals that actually um, are left, the cattle that had not been in the fields, that had survived the fifth plague. Many of them were killed. And now whatever's left, you need to take those and protect them. Get them in a safe place. Well, the responses are made. And this is the first time where protection actually is offered. God gives them protection. He says, here it is. You can do it or not. If you, if you do it, then they'll be protected. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. Well, can you believe there are people that didn't believe this? They didn't protect the animals? But there were other ones that did. And we're talking about the Egyptians, the Pharaoh's servants and such. They believed God's word and they obeyed it. They actually did. Why wouldn't they? There's already been six plagues. But the king continued to harden his heart. And it's interesting that Egyptians actually took God seriously, but then there were other ones who didn't. How do you explain that? Well, God's wrath is unleashed in verse 22 through 25. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. 
So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Hail is often used for judgment. Go to Isaiah 28.2. Prophecies... uh, quite often mention hail and it's something that God would use to show His judgment. Something very visible. Something very physical. Verse 2, Behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one like a tempest of hail and a destroying storm. Like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with His hand? He uses a, a picture, an analogy, but at the same time, God would do that to show visibly that that happens. If you were to look in, oh, let's say Ezekiel 13, um, after Isaiah there, right? Ezekiel 13, verse 11. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar, about, this is about false prophets, that it will fall, there will be flooding rain, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Anyway, there again, stormy wind, rain, hail, in a, in a hard way. Look at Revelation chapter eleven, nineteen. Again, hail is mentioned. God used this against the false gods of Egypt. It's an illustration of how angry he is. 11.19 Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of His covenant was seen in His temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. Follow that hail up and you go to 16.21 and it says, And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. These are hailstones that are 75 to 100 pounds is what a talent is. Can you imagine God raining hailstones, great big huge ice blocks coming down? Well, anyway, that would uh, say that there, there's a judgment, right? God is angry, I would say, with these kind of storms. Any person or any animal, back in, in Exodus now here, that was not undercover was killed. Whether it be uh, out in the fields, what the plants, the trees, the cattle, they were all destroyed if they didn't take protection. And it came quickly. It, would, it stripped bark right off the trees shattered many of them just all together. What a terrible, drastic situation it must have looked like. You know, we've, we've seen tornadoes go through and some of the damage that they've done with trees and power lines and everything down and such. So you can imagine this being much more extreme. There have been supercell hailstorms that have been reported where there have been softball size hail. I've never seen anything that big. I've heard a golf ball and I'm thinking, boy, that's big enough. How would you like to have that you know, hitting on your head? But softball, four inches in diameter. I don't know how big these were, but I tend to think it was probably a little more incredible than what we would experience here. Now we see in verse 26 of our um, Exodus 9, Only in the land of Goshen, 
where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Now all of a sudden we see God's grace. We see His wrath being totally unleashed and then right there in Goshen where the Israelites are going, where they live, nothing's happening at all. Totally protected. And I'm sure that sent a note to Israel or to Egypt again. The Lord protected His people in the land of Goshen and the place didn't touch them. 27 through 35, which uh, goes through the rest of the chapter, is Pharaoh now. He comes into the picture. Pharaoh sent, called for Moses and Aaron. Said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Seeing all the devastation of the land, Pharaoh sends Moses and Aaron in and starts saying, Hey, um, I want to confess that I have sinned. I have sinned this time. I'm wondering, well, what about the other times? He sins all the time, doesn't he? Uh, eight, eight. Something like that happened before. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that He may take away the frogs from me and from my people. I'll let the people go. They may sacrifice to the Lord. It says, uh, Hey, get rid of these frogs. Can you pray to the Lord about that? Uh, this time he says, I have sinned. I think that's making quite a statement. He acknowledged the justice of God. He acknowledged the fact that what God was doing was just. He admitted he sinned. But what am I going to say next? The problem is is that he didn't repent. There's one thing about confession, but if there's not repentance with that, it means nothing. And he had no repentance. He had no remorse. He was not a broken man. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. Broken heart. Recognizing that, oh my, I have offended a holy God. I am so sorry. I don't want to do this again, right? And that is the key to repentance. All he really wanted was what? For the rain to stop, the hail to stop. So he says one thing, but then he what? Does another. Now, if you compare this to David, for instance, versus Saul. Saul, in 1 Samuel, knew that what he had done was wrong. 1 Samuel 15, 24 and 25. 
This is where Saul actually spared King Agag. He was not to do that. God rejects him as king, sends Samuel to speak to him. And when we get into verse 24, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And we know from there on out, Samuel is going to show the very heart of what this is about. Um, And he shows him that um, he is not... God's king. David is now anointed and he'll eventually take over. If you look in Psalm 51, you'll note that God wants a broken heart and he wants a true repentance. So that is what is being brought forth. Um, Moses comes in and then intercedes for him. Pharaoh asks this, and of all things, Moses prays. I'm sure he probably didn't feel like it. But you remember the passage where it says, Far be it from me to sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So despite all that, we have to say that there has to be a repentance and a true uh, sense of that. Moses was not fooled when he prayed for him. He knew, matter of fact, he even states it, that he knew what was really going on. And he knew that Pharaoh didn't mean it. So there was a self-hardening here as we tie the rest of that chapter up right at the end of 9, 34. He hardened his heart, he and his servants. And this, so the heart of Pharaoh was hard. So there was a self-hardening and then there was a passive hardening going on also. Pharaoh's stubbornness is actually a design of God. This has been designed and it's part of the plan. So we go to the second plague for the day, which would be number 8. And starting in chapter 10. So there's the hail. Now we go to the locust. Now this is another long account here. Um, let's take first couple verses. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. That's key. This is all about people knowing who God is. Um, We're going to a higher level. We keep progressing, elevating in these particular um, plagues. And there's not a chance that Pharaoh is going to change his heart here. Uh, We, looking back at it, already know that. But uh, if you're some of the people, you're wondering if he's going to change his heart. Imagine, in some ways, you're wishing that he would. Because look what's happening to our nation. Right in verse 1 of chapter 10, we are told God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
and their hearts to be servants. Pharaoh is a puppet in the very hand of God and he is helpless. Pharaoh is going to do what God has designed. This goes beyond our thinking. Our human thinking cannot really grasp all this. But he's responsible. Pharaoh is responsible. This plague is similar now to the plague of hail. A lot like that. Both destroy humans, animals, vegetation. This is extreme. So um, we've read the first couple of verses. There's, there's really no discussion as far as Pharaoh is concerned here. He's not given this chance to respond. He can't change his course. It's already been set. You, know, you can think of Judas. The same thing had happened there. You know, Jesus knew and uh, it was part of the thing that he was going to be the son of perdition. Rather difficult situation there. But there is a reason Another reason that God is doing this, verse 2, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am Lord. So you're going to tell your sons, your sons who have sons, you will tell them, they will tell it, the ones who aren't even born yet, they will know. And it's like, here we are, Like I said earlier, today we're looking at this and we're recognizing that He certainly is Lord and He certainly can do what He wants to do. Um, that's, That's the thought. And it's not to be kept a secret, is it? This is something that God wanted all to see. Totally out in the open. Now God gives a warning in verse 3 through 6. Can you believe He's still giving warnings? doesn't always do that, but he's doing it here. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth and they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Nothing like this had been seen before and would be seen again. The plague of locusts. Everybody's heard about those locusts. God here is warning. And it's interesting. There's quite a shift that has happened as we move into these plagues and the warnings of these plagues to come. Moses just goes right up to the king and he's in total control of the situation and Moses now puts forth an ultimatum. He says... He says it, he states it right here, and then just leaves. He doesn't wait for the response of Pharaoh. Says it, does it. Matter of fact, he told the king that he was prideful. He says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go. Can you imagine in those times if somebody came up to the king and said, you need to humble yourself 
Can you imagine that? There's no way that uh, the king would take that, right? Well, in 7 through 10, we now get Pharaoh onto the scene and he starts bargaining. And really, he's bargaining with God. He's tried to do that before, and it, but he still wants control of it. We see that Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? So the, the people, the servants there, come to Pharaoh and, and say, Hey, how long is this going to continue? Let the people go. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Finally he says it, right? Uh, Who are the ones that are going? Now it's supposed to be everybody, right? Man, woman, child, animals, everything. Everything they own. Moses said, We will go with our young and our old with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. You who are men, serve the Lord. For that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So he says... Just the men. That's all that I'm going to let go. After all these warnings, after all these plagues, and he thinks he's in control. Pharaoh is really starting to lose support from his own people. Things are crashing. The, the hail has caused this uh, again. And they suggested that Pharaoh needs to let the people go. They'd never been told. They'd never even seen this before. And now they're in a a total desperate situation. The condition is uh, just in an awful situation. So Pharaoh asks another question about all who were going and uh, he gets the answer that they're all. No bargaining power. Pharaoh really doesn't have it. And he lets only the men go, he says. Now this is a compromise. Do you think Moses is going to go along with his compromise? No way. He knows that he has he has God behind this. Moses is so bold. I think he is totally trusting God now like he was not before from the very outset. He was scared to do this. Pharaoh becomes really upset. Moses just seems to be pulling a fast one on him and that he's trying to get them all out of there. But all along, the sacrifice... I think to to Pharaoh seems to be some kind of a ploy on him. But there's a purpose. I think we're starting to see the ultimate purpose of God getting Israel out of Egypt progress as if you just read along through here for for the first time. That they're going to Egypt and they're never going to return. Well, if you keep back and just only the men go, you keep back the women and the children, what does that mean? Men are going to come back. So that's why he's saying, no, the rest of them have to stay here. And he's trying to bargain that out. Now he's trapped by God. This is ordained by God to happen. Pharaoh actually blasphemes God by saying the name of God here. Um, 
and of course he doesn't believe uh, in the name of God God is I think taken in that um, in that sense um, I'll not let you take your children with you and why is he seeing that they want to escape their bondage that's what's happening to him that's what he's seeing if they all go I'll never come back and it's kind of been told that, he was, that they were going to go for a three day journey but it meant they were going to go totally three days out there totally away from them we're going to go way away and now it's becoming too obvious to him that he does not want that to happen at all so 11 through 15, we get God's wrath. Uh, starting at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt, eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. And the locust went up over all the land of Egypt, rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locust as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Plagues. Locusts. Locusts, we see in God's wrath before. He's used locusts. If you were to look in Joel 1 and 2, you look in Judges, you look in Isaiah, you look in Jeremiah. I have those passages there. It's just dealing with locusts that he would bring upon in judgment. So uh, this is very severe because it's going to take every bit of their vegetation. Anything that's green is going to be stripped totally. They're intensifying. And the picture, I think, is really being obvious to everybody what is really happening. Now this is a natural disaster. Locusts do happen, but this is a natural disaster times ten. Times ten. All is going to be taken. Nothing like this had ever happened to Egypt. You can see locusts. You can see that there had been hail before. Nothing like this, though. Locusts fly in formation, it's been said. Years ago, there was a swarm of locusts 1,200 miles wide that came from West Africa towards Great Britain. And as they moved towards there, and they finally got to Great Britain and they brought devastation on that land. From an airplane, it was said that you couldn't see any open ground whatsoever. It was completely black with locusts in an area of 2,000 miles. 2,000 miles square. Totally black locusts on that land. Now, intensify that. Put it on this land of Egypt. And it's, it's even worse. Egypt would never see anything like this again either. This brings on starvation. I'm sure it's hard enough to get food anyway. 
you remember that their food had been attacked right from the very outset in the first plague where you had the Red Sea uh, or, the, or the, the waters turning red is what I'm talking about and the fish had been killed the blood that was in the water livestock had been attacked already all through the plagues the fish had been killed livestock perished now the locusts are stripping all the vegetation every tree every crop everything every green thing was stripped all of a sudden that color green is, and, what, and it's hard to have the color green in Egypt anyway and now it's all gone consumed nothing was left could anything be worse this is horrific. Pick it up in verse 16 and we get Pharaoh coming on the scene. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that He may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. Moses went out and and prayed for him again. Again, you have another confession. He has stated before, I have sinned. This time he says, I have sinned against Yahweh your God and against you. Now that's Quite a statement. He sins against God. He sins against Moses and Aaron. And you can say, well, he's finally coming to it. He's softening here now, right? So, quite an admitting. There's a confession, but definitely no repentance. He's doing the same thing all the way through here. He's The, the promise here that he is making and that he will let them go um, it's not going to happen. He's been saying that all along. Verse um, 19, The Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locust away, blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. So Moses comes, intervenes in prayer again, he continued to pray. I think that is quite remarkable. And uh, of course, he's lining up with God's will. God uh, carries out the plan. God's, here's what he does he uses people as means, he uses prayer as a means for his plan. Moses was so in tune with him that there it was, that was carried out. The judgment was carried out, but now the prayer is carried out and he stops it. Wow. Verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. And there we go again. Again, it goes right along with the theme we've been talking about this hardening. Last plague for the day, the ninth one. There's only one plague after this one, the tenth one. Now, like the third plague, the first series. And like the third plague of the second series, which would be the sixth, and now the ninth plague, the third of the third series, no announcements here. No warning. God is just going to do it. So those kind of uh, parallel each other. The sun 
going to be absent again in a more extreme way. And again, it takes you back to the sun god. The god of the air. You know, you see through here. Here's dealing with the sun god again. Ra, Re. And he would be a very powerful god to the Egyptians. I mean, that is right at the top, right? But God has been showing all along that he's going to defeat the gods of Egypt as well as Pharaoh. And he overwhelmingly defeats him because there is light absent for this time period, for these three days. And if you read uh, earlier, that was a good insight there, uh, because in the desert, in the Mideast, and there in Egypt, there can be these great sandstorms that are just tremendous, uh, where you almost can't see anything, and it can come up and blow and uh, go for quite some time. Well, that can bring in severe pain. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a sandstorm before, but it's, it is hard to see, and it hurts. We were out in a place called White Sands a long time ago, and the sun was shining, and, and it was on this white sand. That's all you see. You see blue sky, you see white sand. White as can be. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the storm came up, and we were something like, I don't know, a half mile away from our van. Maybe not even that far. Maybe a quarter mile. And this sand just started beating at us. And, uh, you know, with, without any kind of protection, it's, it's hitting your skin. It's hitting your face. It's hard to see. All of a sudden, it's getting to the point where, where is the van at? You know, you, you lose sight of what's happening. And uh, that was quite a introduction to what uh, sandstorms can do. I'll never forget that. It's kind of scary. It's like, how do we get out of this? How do we get back? Somehow you stumble, uh, stumble back and to what's happening. Well, that was really nothing. And definitely was these sandstorms happening. That's you know part of this, uh, making this darker. You can actually feel it. But God has so intensified it that this is so dark. And it's darker than midnight. You can feel the very presence of this darkness, it says. Um, picking up verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven. Don't even go to Pharaoh this time. Just stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now that's fascinating. This is unlike anything. The darkness could not be penetrated at all, even with a lantern. There's nothing that you could have to make light come in this situation. It is that dark. It's felt so dark. And at the same time, in verse 23, we see God's grace to His chosen people. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. <laughs> but it's dark over there in the rest of Egypt. In the land of Goshen, it's not. What a message that says. It says a lot right there, doesn't it? Pharaoh makes an offer to Moses. <laughs> Always has an offer, doesn't he? He says all the Jews, all the Jewish people could go worship. What else does he say? 
Verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Go worship your Lord. Go worship Yahweh. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. He says, okay, you can take your wives, you can take your children. Go ahead, go worship. Oh, about your animals? You've got to keep them here. <laughs> he just he doesn't get it, does he? He keeps hammering on that I want something here that will keep you, that will make you come back. They've got to have those animals. They've got to have the animals for what? For one thing, to sacrifice to God. That's going to be the sacrificial system out there in the desert. And Moses says in verse 25, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Okay, there's light in Goshen. God's grace. Pharaoh knows this. Pharaoh says, "Okay, I'm going to let I'm going to let you all go um, while you're while you're going way out there. Um, let's keep the animals back." Moses says, "No, I am not going to compromise in any way." They could have gone out and, and worshipped God, but. Moses so knows the will of God here. He knows the Word of God and he knows what is true. It would have been a lot easier to say, okay, let's do that. No way. I'm not going to do that. Verse 27. What has been going all along? The hardening of a heart. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself. See my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. (laughs) Imagine the audacity to say this to God's man. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. How sad this is. Pharaoh was beaten, but he cannot admit it. He will not admit it. He threatened Moses that he's going to kill him if he saw him again. Well, they will meet again. This would be kind of like at the Red Sea where dealing with that last plague where Pharaoh's army is killed but not Moses. This is about a human heart, Pharaoh. This is one man who represents any human he's as human as anybody else but it is hard to believe you can say well I would have been able to submit to God after that first plague happened or the second I would have kept that from happening well in our own minds we think that we're smart enough and we might even say that we submit to God but the thing is a true repentance a true confession is what God wants a human heart will become harder and harder the longer it resists God's truth. It is hard. If it doesn't want God's truth, God will continue it. God's affliction will provoke more and more disobedience. These people 
these people that we've seen right here in the story, they will continue in their sins. But they will not repent. They'll be sorry for it, but not a godly sorrow. They take in, they behold, they see God's judgments, and they still don't repent. And that's why in Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Word of God was given, and you can see how it's resisted. There is one plague left. We've gone through nine. Three weeks in a row, we've basically been seeing the same thing, but it's been intensified. Thank you for staying with us here on this because I know it sounds like one message after another just repeated off from what I was mentioning last week. But God wanted to continue, but He he makes it harder there um, on them to to show who He is. Let's, uh, Let's pray.